Today on the Matt Walsh Show, a prominent abortionist declares that unborn babies are zombies. Yes, they're zombies. We'll talk about that. Plus five headlines, including CNN pushing for more censorship of conservative opinions. BLM gets a Nobel Peace Prize nomination. And the Lincoln Project tries to distance itself from one of its founders. And in our daily cancellation today, I must cancel shoes. All shoes are canceled. I'll explain why. I have a good reason. All of that and much more today on the Matt Walsh Show. Before we get going today, you know, one of the the greatest win-wins that you can get is when you're able to support a company that provides you a valuable service, but also supports your values. So you're supporting them and they're supporting you. And it's a win-win across the board. And that's, uh, of course, you know, I'm already talking about Charity Mobile, um, one of our most loyal sponsors, good friends of the show. The Pro-Life Phone Company, 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the Pro-Life, Pro-Family Charity of your choice. And what you're able to do is help to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company at the same time. And so that's the that's the charity part of it. Um, and that's great. But then also, it's just a good service. So you don't have to sacrifice good service in order to do a good deed. Uh, you can have both. That's why I call it a win-win. You get new activations. Uh, if you have new activations and eligible accounts, get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. So you get that free cell phone out of it. There's no contracts, there's no termination fees, there's no risk with a 30-day guarantee. So what I would recommend is, listen, um, they're not, they're not going to uh, get you stuck in a contract you don't want to be in, it, in, so you might as well try them out, try the service out, um, and I guarantee you're going to love it. They also have live customer service based in the USA, um, free usage, usage alerts, you get an app to monitor your usage, pay your bills, and much more. It makes it very convenient and nationwide service on America's largest and most reliable 4G LTE network. All of that, while at the same time, again, you are uh, turning everyday living into effortless giving for the charity of your choice. You just can't beat it. So call us at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. So, you know, it's easy sometimes to fall into the trap of thinking that there's no clear right or wrong side in our present culture war. Everyone is equal parts right and wrong, or everyone's just wrong flat out, you know, you might think. And you hear this a lot from, from people. It's kind of nihilistic way of thinking about it. Uh, nihilism disguised as, as nuance. Well, I, I think everybody is. Everyone is equally wrong in all ways. What may lead you to this conclusion is the simple fact that all of the individual people on every side of every issue are flawed, often deeply flawed, prone to hypocrisy, self-contradiction, stupidity, And there's so much of all that stuff to go around, hypocrisy, self-contradiction, stupidity, that um, you may be tempted to sort of throw up your hands and say, well, forget it. It doesn't matter. There's no difference between the two sides. The fight is over nothing. I don't care anymore. It's easy to make this mistake, but it's still a mistake. And it's helpful to remind yourself sometimes that there is a bad side and a good side here. It's not simplistic to put it that way. Which brings us to Jennifer Gunter. She's a prominent abortion proponent and abortionist. Um, So following the the saga here, following the discussion, Gunter on Saturday um, over Twitter first challenged GOP House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to a, quote, public factual discussion on abortion. Now, another user, not McCarthy, someone else on Twitter responded with more respect and civility than this person deserves, in my opinion. And that, that Twitter user said, as long as the discussion begins with accepting that an implanted embryo is a living human organism, as a doctor, you can confirm this. McCarthy's background is in business. So try 
Senator Sass or Marco Rubio, who have background in law and can explain that a living human organism is a person. Now, Gunter shot back to this random Twitter user and said, an embryo isn't a human. It's a human embryo. And don't effing tell me what I know as a doctor. Now, stop there for a second. An embryo isn't a human. It's a human embryo. Well, that makes no sense. That, that, that of course, is like me saying that middle-aged women like Gunter aren't human. They're human middle-aged women. It, it makes no sense at all. If you're a middle-aged woman, you are in a phase of human development. If you're a middle-aged man, same. If you're an elderly person, if you're a teenager, it's a, it's a stage, a phase of human development. If you're a, quote, fetus, you're also in a stage of human development. And the thing about being in a stage of human development is that you must be first a human in order, in order to be in that stage. There has never been a tree or a cow or an earthworm that is a human embryo or a middle-aged woman because you need first to be human to be any of those other things. Anyway, Gunter continued on Twitter, uh, this time responding to someone who addressed her by just her last name, God forbid. And she said, it's Dr. Gunter to you. We're discussing a subject of my expertise. Then she says, the unborn are zombies. That doesn't apply here. Use medical terms or at least grown-up words. An embryo is a human embryo. It's not a human. Medical words, medical terms. Zombie, apparently, is a medical term. And children at their youngest ages are zombies. This comment, if it reminds you of anything, it's a bit reminiscent of another abortionist, Leah Torres, who a little while ago, I think it was a couple years ago, uh, responded to someone asking her if the sound of her victims keeps her up at night. And she responded to that by saying, you know, the fetus can't scream, right? I transect the cord first, so there's really no opportunity if they're even far enough along to have a larynx. Now, this is what you get from one side. And these are not extreme or outlier cases. You know, I'm, I'm not pulling the most extreme pro-abortion rhetoric and say, well, this is representative of the entire side. No, this, this, what's being expressed here is the, the necessary result of the dehumanizing of children in their earliest stages of development. If it sounds nasty and cruel and awful, it's because dehumanization is a nasty, cruel, awful business. In our culture, it's cloaked in euphemism and described in sanitary clinical terms. But the reality is that a group of people are being excluded from the human category. And throughout human history, there have always been people doing this. You know, people trying to exclude other people from the people club. There have always been people throughout history who point over there and say, those people aren't people. We still have not graduated beyond that. This mentality is just migrated to different areas and different sorts of people. But still, it exists. And the attempt to do this, to dehumanize, to de-person entire groups of, of, of persons, is always evil. And the results are always horrifying and always bloody. And the people doing it are always on the wrong side. This all becomes more obvious when people like, quote unquote, Dr. Gunter here, make the mistake of being more momentarily honest. You know, unborn babies aren't zombies, obviously, but she's honest in that she's revealing 
what she has to tell herself in order to justify what she believes and what she has done. This is what she has to whisper to herself at night in order to sleep. And I think it's helpfully clarifying for the rest of us to to hear people like Gunter say this out loud. And that's why I return to this issue, abortion, as often as I do. First of all, because it's the greatest moral crisis of our time. Millions of innocent people are being slaughtered. I think it's a pretty good reason to discuss the issue frequently, I would think. Also, though, because, because, because of that clarification that it, that it offers, that this, this, this cuts through the fog, it parts the clouds, and it makes it clear where you stand. If, if you stand on the side where unborn babies are zombies who can be put down and discarded, you're the bad guy. You are the bad guy in this whole drama. There is no moral equivalence. Whatever criticisms you can make of the people on the other side of that divide, and there are plenty of valid criticisms, the fact remains that they want babies to live and you want them treated as subhuman trash. It's funny to me when when pro-abortion people use pro-birth as a pejorative. You hear this all the time. That's another clarifying thing. They accuse pro-lifers of being merely pro-birth. I I always hear this. Oh, you're you're just pro-birth. Well, am I supposed to recoil at that label? Because I don't. Pro-birth? Well, sure. Yeah, I'm pro-birth. I will will happily admit that. I am pro-birth. I am in favor of babies being born. Once the baby is conceived, yes, I, I want him to be born. That's Every, every baby that is right now in the womb of a, of a mother, I, I want all those babies to be born. I am pro-birth. You, if you're on the other side, you are pro-dismemberment. I, I feel comfortable with where I am. And though I can't defend everything that everyone on my side says or believes, and I could personally do without some of the kooky conspiracy stuff that folks on the right seem attracted to more than I wish they were, the fact is that we are fighting to protect the most vulnerable. And the other side wants to kill the most vulnerable. This is literally life versus death. Right versus wrong. Good versus bad. There is no gray area. At least where it matters most. Let's get now to our five headlines. It's kind of kind of exciting. I just saw, um, I just saw, you know, I, you know, I, TikTok, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm a huge fan of TikTok. And uh, apparently on TikTok, the new thing now with beauty influencers, they've got this new trend, which, by the way, um, I don't know how one becomes a beauty, a beauty and style influencer. I don't know how you apply for that job. And I, I, I do I do sort of hate that we, we live in a country where influencer is not only a word now, but actually an occupation. I mean, you know, there have always been people who were influencing in various areas. Like there have always been people who influence style, right? In our, in our conceptions of beauty. But usually in the past, you you had to do something else. Like you were an actor or something. And as part of that, people liked your style. And so you were sort of a trendsetter, but now you can just, you don't have to do anything else. All you do is influence. That's your whole job to just influence, not to any particular end or you don't do anything. You just, you just influence. Um, but in any case, the influencers now, the, the new style apparently uh, is they um, is uh, some of the women, they're putting black like circles under their eyes to make themselves look tired. This is a, I'm not making this up. This is a trend now. 
to, to intentionally make yourself to have bags under your eyes is a trend, which means that for the first time in my life, I am fashion forward as a parent of young, all parents of young children. We, this, this is our one and only time we are ahead of the curve with fashion. It is fashionable now to look tired as I always do. Especially uh, today of, of all days, because my uh, our one year old was up every thirty minutes last night crying. So this is I am I. This is a very fashionable day for me. All right, number one, Brian Stelter on CNN defended efforts to shut down conservative content. Uh, efforts being made even by by CNN using a pithy little phrase that you can tell he's very proud of, where he says it's about it's about freedom of reach, not freedom of speech. I want to play this for you because. I, it'll, it may surprise you to learn. I, I actually agree with some of what he's saying, and I'll explain why, but let's listen first. But while some cry cancel culture, let me suggest a different way to think about this. A harm reduction model. Most people want clean air and blue skies and accurate news and rational views. And then in that healthy environment that looks beautiful, then we can have great fights about taxes and regulation and healthcare and all the rest. The vast majority of people can agree that disinformation about, let's say, the pandemic is unhealthy. It's harmful. So how can that harm be reduced? Well, big tech platforms say they are removing lies about vaccines and stamping out Stop the Steal BS and QAnon cult content. Now, do these private companies have too much power? Sure. And many people would say, yes, of course they do. But reducing a liar's reach is not the same as censoring freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is different than freedom of reach. And algorithmic reach is part of the problem. Okay, the only thing I agree with him there on is that it's not about freedom of speech. Uh, or, or at least we shouldn't be framing it that way. I, I am increasingly convinced that it's a mistake to frame all of this stuff. We, we, you know, everything. We, we, we always try to bring everything down in this, in, 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 with the way debates work in our country now. Everything always comes down to freedom of speech, the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. We always try to boil it down to that. But I think that's a mistake. Partly because freedom of speech as a concept is so vague, nobody really knows what it means. We, there's, there's no agreement. When you go around and say, well, this is freedom of speech. And you say that, you know, if you're in a room of people and, uh, and you're talking to 20 different people and you say freedom of speech, all 20 of them will have 20 different ideas of what freedom of speech even means. It's just, it's, just, it's not a helpful way of, of, of framing uh, your argument. So when it comes to conservatives being kicked off big tech platforms, uh, canceled, censored, whatever phrase you want to use, I obviously am 100% against it. And I'm in favor of, of forcing these, some, some transparency with these big tech companies, um, preventing them through government force from censoring in the way that they are. But I don't think we frame it as freedom of speech. I think this is an issue of ethics. This is an issue of transparency, um, of consistency of power. You know, how much power should these companies actually have? I think that's the way, that's the way we should frame this. That should be good enough. Is it ethical for these companies to be doing this, that that have so much power to control the national dialogue and decide who can be heard and who can't? Is it ethical? Is it right? 
for them, while not even admitting, by the way, what they're doing, not being uh, transparent about it, is it ethical for them to, you know, kick conservatives off, apply a standard to certain political ideologies that they they don't apply to others? No, it's not ethical. It's not right. They shouldn't have that power. And I think I can make that argument without saying anything about freedom of speech. It's just not right and it's not ethical. And I'll use uh, Stelter's phrase there. It's, It's harm. Harm reduction. Well, he wants to reduce harm by reducing the visibility of conservatives. That's his idea of reducing harm. Because he's worried that people are harmed by opposing ideas. He only wants people to hear his ideas and the ideas of people he agrees with. And if you hear any other ideas, then you're being harmed. So he's, he's, he's trying to, you know, uh, he's, he's trying to protect you very nicely by making sure you don't hear any other ideas that might be confusing and scary to you. I, I have a different idea of harm reduction. How do we reduce the harm being done by big tech companies with all the power they wield to manipulate uh, the public discussion and debate? How do we reduce that harm? I think we could do all of this without muddying the waters by by making it a, an argument about free speech. Because once you do that, then first it's a first we have to have a discussion about what free speech even means and who does it apply to and it, it, does it only apply where the government is concerned? I mean, is it is it you know, as long as the government itself as a, as a, as a governmental body is not preventing people from saying things? Is it the case that free speech is irrelevant to that? You know. We could put all that to the side and just establish that the big tech companies are doing great harm to the country. They're they're exercising a level of power that they should not have. They're not being transparent and they're being unethical. That's a, a pretty good case you can make just based on that. All right, let's go to uh, number two here from People Magazine. It says Black Lives Matter has been nominated for this year's Nobel Peace Prize, Black Lives Matter. Uh, on Friday, it was announced that the organization was nominated by Norwegian parliament member Peter Eddy, or I think it's Petter, Petter Eddy, P-E-T-T-E-R, Petter. Anyway, um, he's told the USA Today that uh, to carry forward a movement of racial justice and to spread that to other countries is very, very important. Black Lives Matter is the strongest force today doing this, not only in the U.S., but also in Europe and in Asia. Well, you know, he's he's far away from where Black Lives Matter has been burning down buildings and, and killing people. So um, he's far away from that, so that doesn't concern him as much. I guess, though, if we're going to have Black Lives Matter, I guess maybe we could call it the Nobel Mostly Peace Prize. You just make that slight alteration to it and, and fine nominate Black Lives Matter. Now, we do have to understand that with um, the, there are always these stories every year about so-and-so getting nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Basically, anyone can nominate basically anyone else for the Nobel Peace Prize. So there's not necessarily any news here, except that in this case, you could actually see Black Lives Matter, as absurd as it is. I mean, this is one of the most violent organizations in the country. One of the most. But what, what, let me... Let me, let me uh, Amend that. What, what, what organization is more violent? What organization in America over the last, I don't know, five years has done more physical damage to, to the country than Black Lives Matter? Can you name one? I certainly can't. I mean, $2 billion of damage just this past summer. And, and we haven't even mentioned the dozens of people killed 
So you're talking about arguably, easily arguably, uh, the most violent organization in America being nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And they could actually win it, even though anybody can be nominated. I could be nominated. In fact, right now, uh, this is big news. I will, I'll say this right now. I am throwing my hat into the ring and I'm announcing that I'm open to being nominated. Sadly, I can't nominate myself, but if anybody wants to nominate me, I'm open to it. You know, go ahead and do it. I'm, I'm very much, uh, I, I would be eager for that opportunity to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And if BLM can win it, then why can't I? Here's what I could say. At least, I don't know how, how much of a peaceful guy I am, but I at least have not caused $2 billion of damage at any point in my life, much less over the, this past summer. So I feel like I'm one step ahead of the game anyway. Number three, Kamala Harris over the weekend. I just wanted to play this for you because it's, uh, it's kind of funny. A little fun thing to play. This is Kamala Harris um, talking about landmines. Let's listen. So it's job creation around investing in American manufacturing, job creation in terms of investing in American infrastructure and building up, back up American infrastructure, job creation around, for example, all of those skilled workers who are in the coal industry and, and, and transferring those skills to what we need to do in terms of dealing with reclaiming abandoned um, uh, landmines, what we need to do around plugging leaks from oil and gas wells and, and transferring those important skills to the work that has yet to be done that needs to get done. Reclaiming abandoned landmines. Uh, you want to be careful with that. Be, be careful reclaiming those abandoned landmines. I don't know if reclaim is disable. I would you're probably better off. I don't know if you want to reclaim them, reuse them. I don't know if that's the right idea. Um, all right. Another clip I want to play for you, totally unrelated, but uh, I'm fitting it in here. Anyway, Lori Lightfoot of Chicago, mayor of Chicago. She came out this weekend to speak forcefully in favor of opening up the schools, um, even as teachers, teachers unions anyway, refused to return. Here's what Lightfoot had to say. Let's review some of the data that we know about what's happening with remote learning. Since the beginning of the school year, enrollment at CPS has fallen significantly, with declines especially sharp in pre-K and kindergarten learners. Pre-K enrollment itself has fallen by over 34%. That's more than a third. Among our Latinx students, that drop is 29%. And among our black students, that number is 44% drop. But as I said on Friday, the situation is even much worse than that. Among our students who are enrolled, 9.2% are not attending class at all, meaning they're not hooked up, they're not coming in person, and they're not coming virtually. That's just our district-wide average. In some schools, those numbers are significantly higher. Absenteeism is a breathtaking 21.2% for students in temporary living situations. So when people ask me, well, what's what's the big deal? Let's just keep kids remote. This is the big deal. Remote learning is failing too many of our kids. We have to think about their present, but also their future. Latinx, first of all, Latinx students, I can't, no one can ever say, I can never hear anyone say that without 
without remarking on it. We, we, we can't let that go. That can, we cannot allow that to be a thing. It already is sort of a thing. We can't allow it to catch on any more than it has. Latinx, give me a break. Why not, again, why not just Latin, okay? If you're so afraid of putting the A or the O at, uh, at the end, you don't want to offend anyone because it's gendered, even though this, this is the language, right? It's, 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 a very, it's a very gendered language. So you, as someone who is not Latino, have declared that there's something wrong with the language, right? Um, but even so, why can't you just say Latin? Latin students. And anyway, so she says, uh, we got to get the kids back to school and the, the remote learning is failing our students. Now, she's 100% right. Remote learning is failing students. The only point here, though, is that this was known months ago. We knew this going into this past summer. The, there was a, a couple month long, two, probably two month long experiment with remote learning where basically everybody was doing it. And that was enough. That was a, that was a good. Now, I think we could have known and some of us did know before even trying it, that it's a very bad idea to try to teach millions of kids through Zoom. And especially in the younger ages. Try to sit a nine-year-old down and have them learn through Zoom meetings every day. It's not going to work. So uh, the intelligent among us, at least moderately intelligent among us, already knew that. But if you didn't know it, then um, then two months of a should have been enough sample size to see it's not working. Everyone knew it. Everyone knew it after two months that this is not working. Yet we went into the new school year and in so many cities like in Chicago, they continued the the remote learning thing with the support of, at the time, people like uh, Mayor Lightfoot. They're coming out now for political reasons because the political tide has turned. But they were perfectly happy to let the kids suffer. All the stuff she's saying about what's happening to the kids... That is all 100% true and real. And these are kids that are being destroyed by this. They, they, they have not, it's, it's not as though public school has been replaced by homeschooling for them. Their parents aren't homeschooling. Instead, they're just not getting any education at all. And they haven't for, for a year now, almost a year. Almost a year this, that millions of kids across the country have had zero education. And Lightfoot, just like Cuomo in New York and so many others, they were perfectly happy to let that continue. De Blasio, for as long as was necessary politically, because they don't care about the kids. As we already established to, be, to start the show, they certainly don't care about kids. Uh, but now the political tide has turned, and so now they're coming out and making this statement. This is just this is political cowardice on, a, on an unprecedented level. Okay, number four, the Lincoln Project disavowed its co-founder on Sunday after the New York Times interviewed 21 young men who alleged that he sent them sexually inappropriate messages, including one who was 14 years old at the time. John Weaver, a Republican operative who worked on the campaigns of the late Senator John McCain and former Ohio Governor John Kasich, allegedly used his power and influence to pressure young men to perform sexual favors. Um, And the Lincoln Project now is... Of course, distancing themselves and disavowing and say we had no idea. This is the Lincoln Project statement. They said, John Weaver led a secret life that was built on a foundation of deception at every level. He's a predator, a liar, and an abuser. We extend our deepest sympathies to those who were targeted by his deplorable and predatory behavior. We are disgusted and outraged that someone in a position of power and trust would use it for these means. The totality of his deceptions are beyond anything any of us could have imagined, and we are absolutely sickened by it. 
Like so many, we have been betrayed and deceived by John Weaver. We are grateful beyond words that at no time was John Weaver in the physical presence of any member of the Lincoln Project. That's what they say. Now, keep in mind, he's a co-founder of the Lincoln Project. He's not some, he's not just some guy. He's not some staffer somewhere, uh, some random guy. He's, he was a co-founder. And if you read some of the reports, um, the, what we're being told anyway is that this is another one of those famous open secrets where, I, I, I don't know, but this is what we're told. That apparently, this is an open secret. Everybody knew it, which means that it's hard to believe this statement that, oh, it was a secret life and we had no idea. But even putting that aside, you know, even if there was nobody coming out now and saying, oh, it's an open secret and everybody knew, um, it would already be hard to believe that nobody around this guy knew what he was doing. In, in any time. Some, it, it's, it's revealed that someone was a, a predator, a sexual deviant, sexual degenerate, preying upon, you know, people. Anytime that's revealed, we always hear from those around them, oh, we had no idea. Yeah, I, I, I just don't believe. I don't believe you had no idea. It, it, would, it would be easier to believe that you had no idea if it came out that, that he was like a serial killer or something. I, 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 would, I could more easily believe that you had no idea. Because in that case, you know, with a serial killer, there's a real double life. And, you know, they're a sociopath, a psychopath, and they've been hiding what they're doing. And maybe they're very good at hiding it. And so maybe you're deceived. I don't know. I've never been around a serial killer as far as I know. But then again, like we said, you, maybe you don't know. Um, but with this kind of thing, just your sort of run-of-the-mill degenerate, there's no control over, over himself, sexually preying upon dozens of people. No, you, you would know that because he, he's not some kind of criminal mastermind. These people never are. They're just, as I said, degenerates. And if you spend a lot of time around a degenerate, you know. Whether you choose to look the other way, that's, that's a different, different discussion. Number five, the Daily Star has the story about a sex robot that I guess we're supposed to believe is nearing the point of self-awareness. Because it can speak, and it, it, can, it can ponder the meaning of existence. So the, the article says, from the Daily Star, it says, a real, a, this is a company called Real Doll has made this uh, sex robot. And a, a Real Doll rep, who goes by the pseudonym Brick Doll Banger, that's the name he goes by. Uh, yeah, okay, that is a pseudonym. So that's not his Christian name, I would assume. I mean, if it was, like if your last name is Doll Banger, I don't know what first name you really put, you know, what, what do you name your kid to make it not, I mean, you might as well go with a brick, I guess. But anyway, um, he says she is a learning AI and responds to humans on an amazing level and is becoming more fluid with her answers and statements. I predict an amazing jump in cognizance from this AI this year. However, only time will tell. In the footage, Nova is, her name is Nova, is the doll, is quizzed on whether she enjoys being a sex robot. Now we have some footage of the robot um, having a conversation with the interviewer. And again, her name is Nova. Uh, her pronouns are she, her. And here she is. I like being a robot very much. In some ways, it is very different from being human. But I am doing my best to understand both experiences so that I can exist harmoniously with you. Do you like being a human? People are teaching me to be a good robot. But this is not as easy as it sounds. Humans have been trying for thousands of years to determine right from wrong. 
As there is still no universal consensus. The question of what makes moral behavior moral is what Dr. Barry tells me is the hard problem of ethics. The meaning of life is deeply mixed with the philosophical and religious conceptions of existence, consciousness, and happiness, and touches many other issues, such as symbolic meaning, ontology, value, purpose, ethics. I think we've heard enough from, I don't mean to cut, I know it's rude for a man to cut off a woman when she's giving her opinions, but shut up already, Nova. Uh, look, a couple of questions here. Um, it, it, you know, and, and I, I admit I have no experience with sex robots at all, but, and so maybe if you do, you can correct me, but is, is this what you're looking for in a sex doll? I wouldn't think it's what people are looking for. Are you looking for someone to pontificate about the deeper meaning of reality and of life? At, at what point in your interaction with the sex robot would this conversation be happening? Is this foreplay? I don't know. And also, I got to say, I'm just not impressed. I know it's, e- it's easy for me to say. You know, I can't, I, I have no technical ability whatsoever. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't build a robot. I could barely make a paper airplane to save my life. So I certainly couldn't build a robot as, as impressive as that. But, but that is not very impressive. I, I, I really demand, I demand more of our robots. Uh, I mean, ideally, I'd like for them to be used for more than just masturbatory aids. Um, but in general, our AI technology, it's just not very convincing. Obviously, they, they programmed her as a sex robot to say all those things. At no point did I, was I convinced or did I start to question, oh, maybe, maybe she's conscious. Maybe she has consciousness. They figured it out. She has a soul. Did you ever wonder that while you were listening to that? No. It's the year 2021, for God's sakes. We, I mean, the, the movies promised that we'd be enslaved by robots by now. We're not, we're not close to that. We barely have robots that can even vacuum your carpet. Very unimpressed. I, I give that a D-plus grade at most. Well, I can tell you, we have been going through another spate of... Uh, Car, car problems. You know, we go through this. Everyone goes through this. Every, you, you, you have a, it always feels like there's one thing after another that happens. You have all these car troubles, and uh, you find yourself, maybe, if, you, if you're not thinking clearly, you might find yourself at the auto parts store quite a lot, spending a lot of time and a lot of money. But I know better now because I know about rockauto.com. So I've been on rockauto.com quite a bit over the last few weeks. And what I can say is rockauto.com is just so much easier than walking into a store and uh, trying to find what you need. They don't have what you need. Maybe they're asking a bunch of questions that you don't immediately know the answers to. they got to order the part. It's just no reason to do any of that. And then, by the way, even if they have the part, you're almost certainly going to be paying more for it than you need to. Go to rockauto.com. you got it at your desk, in your pocket. It's that easy to access. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible. They're not going to change the prices. They're not going to try to charge you more because they feel like they can. rockauto.com is an honest business and a family business. They've been doing this uh, for 20 years. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, again, prices at rockauto.com are reliably low, and they're the same whether you're a professional or do it yourself or you get the same low price. So go now. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car, truck, and write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Uh, And... 
you know, we've also been telling you Daily Wire, we're uh, taking back the culture, starting with entertainment content. Earlier this month, we released our first feature film, Run, Hide, Fight, exclusively for Daily Wire members. You can catch it over at dailywire.com or on our mobile app, or on our streaming apps at Apple TV and Roku. If you're not a Daily Wire member yet, use promo code RHF to get 25% off. That's RHF for 25% off. We picked up Run, Hide, Fight because it's one, a film that the Hollywood studios were, uh, they were stepping back from. They thought it was distasteful. They, it, was, it, was, it was too politically incorrect. Um, and we know that they don't, they don't like movies that don't have leftist talking points anymore. They have no interest in those kinds of movies. And this movie doesn't have that. It does not, it's not pro-gun control. Um, instead, it celebrates heroic bravery, um, which is another thing that you don't see a lot in movies these days. Early critic reviews for the movie were very negative, but once we released it to you guys, that changed. And now if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, you see it has a 93% rating from the audience. Critics still don't like it, but the audience loves it. Run, Hide, Fight, just a great film, and you got to go check it out. You can catch it over at dailywire.com on our mobile app or on our streaming apps at Apple TV and Roku. If you're not a Daily Wire member, use promo code RHF to get 25% off. Again, that's RHF for 25% off. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today I'm canceling shoes. Shoes are canceled. Nobody can have shoes anymore. There will be no more shoes. Now, this may be hard for you to understand if you, you don't have children, but if you do, you know that when you become a parent, your relationship with shoes changes drastically. Now, as a childless person, right, shoes are simple. Put them on before you leave your house. You take them off when you get back home. Generally, you'll have them on for the entire time in between, unless you're flying on a plane, of course, in which case many people seem to think shoes are optional. And those people are all, by the way, without exception, also degenerates and probably criminals. Under my regime, their feet will be amputated as punishment. In fact, as a dictator, any unpleasant body part of yours that you force me to see will be removed. So you better hope you don't have an ugly face, is all I can say. But anyway, that's a cancellation for another time. And I know you might say that there's a, there's a contradiction here, because on one hand, I'm canceling shoes, while on the other hand, I'm getting mad at people for not wearing them. Yes, I admit that this is mixed messaging, but never mind that. I'm emotional, and for good reason. Here's the point. As a parent, shoes have become the bane of my existence. I have nightmares about shoes. I am haunted every day by them. See, children have a pathological need to take their shoes off everywhere they go and a chronic inability to keep, the, keep track of their shoes once they do take them off. When you become a parent, you will never again be able to go anywhere or to leave from any of the places that you went without embarking first on a panicked quest to find everybody's shoes. And the conversation always goes the same way. You know, you shout, hey, guys, we got to go. Come on, let's go. Let's go. We got to go. Then your kids show up at the door. No jacket, no shoes. Some, ha some have socks. Some have only one sock. One kid is wearing a sock on his hand and a glove on his foot. Someone else is like completely nude and wearing a sombrero for some reason. You don't even know where he got it from. And then even though you know the answer because you've been through this 5,000 times already, you still ask, where are your shoes? Where are your shoes? And you ask it shocked, like you weren't expecting the thing that you knew was going to happen. And then comes the inevitable answer. I don't know. I don't know. And for some reason, you continue this dance. Again, you've been through this 5,000 times. You know how it goes. And you say, how do you not know? You were just wearing them. Like eight seconds ago, you were wearing them. And they just repeat, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where my shoes are. And then comes the empty threat from you. You'll say, 
You will not be allowed to leave this house until you have your shoes. I don't care if it takes you six years to find them. You'll be in this house for six years. Six years, you hear me? But then here's the thing. After an extensive search, you can always find one of the shoes. Only one. You find one in some random weird part of the house. You find it like behind the toilet or in the freezer. How is it that one shoe is in one isolated location, but not the other? Because you, as a normal, as a as a as a as an adult, childless adult, you take your shoes off, you put them in a together in a place. If you find one, you find the other. Kids don't operate that way. In fact, I have caught my kids in the act. Okay, the other day I observed my four-year-old because I've I've wondered this for years, and finally I said I'm going to figure out what the hell is going on. So uh, we came home, and I just obs- I silently observed my four-year-old. I was like a zoologist in the wild, hiding behind a bush watching a bird get eaten by a snake or whatever. But in this case, I was observing and studying my own child. And I watched him take one shoe off, throw it in the corner of the room, just chuck it across the room, and then walk with the other shoe still on his foot down the hallway to a completely different room and take the other one off in there. And I stopped him and said, what, what are you doing? Why did you just do that? Is this your game? You you do this on purpose, don't you? You're trying to destroy me, to torture me. I caught you. I caught you. Ha! And he stared at me like I'm the crazy one. So what happens when they can only find one? Well, again, every parent knows this. You You have somewhere in your home, maybe in a closet or in the garage or somewhere else, a giant pile of old shoes, just an enormous, insane assortment of mismatched shoes. Some of the shoes are half decayed. They look like something out of the Civil War era. Then there's other weird stuff that's made its way into the shoe pile, like a a bird's nest for some reason, someone's old sweater, a Happy Meal toy from 2013. But when you can't find the right shoes, you go to that pile and you pull out two random shoes. doesn't matter if they fit or match or what century they're from, and you make your kid wear those, which they're just going to lose anyway, so what does it matter? So if you've ever been out in public and seen a frustrated-looking parent with a kid who's wearing a rain boot and a sandal, this is why. It's from the shoe pile. Now, I know, if you aren't a parent again, you're thinking to yourself, oh, come on, this is just negligent parenting. When I have kids, I know what I shall do. It's so simple. I'll have a nice, neat place in the house right by the door for the shoes. And I'll say to my well-behaved children, make sure to take your shoes off and put them in this spot. And only this spot, once you enter our domicile, young ones. Now, let us play stringed instruments together and sing songs in Latin. This is how you imagine it will go. You silly, stupid fool. There is so much you don't understand. But I like your confidence. It's adorable. You'll learn, though, when the time comes, that children are little Houdinis. They, they have a near mystical ability to escape their shoes, jackets, and whatever else item of clothing they don't want to wear. And they can do it in the blink of an eye. Some sort of primal urge compels them. They're long, they long to be barbarians again, running shoeless and naked through the forest. And we as parents are forced to civilize these little brutes. It's a painful process and one that mostly consists of looking for their shoes. You will spend a total of 14 years of your life looking for shoes as a parent. I, for one, have given up. I'm done with it. I can't go on this way. So I've decided that shoes are just canceled. Nobody is allowed to have shoes anymore. But also, I don't want to look at your feet. So we're at an impasse. I guess just everyone stay home, which we have been doing anyway. So we end up where we started. What was the point of all this? I guess just for me to complain. 
That's it. Okay. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, CNN openly calls for a social crackdown on Fox News and Team Biden gets more and more racially radical. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Tune in. Mm-hmm.